to jump into this morning's service. Well, how's everyone doing this morning? You excited to be at church? I, I looked out as the first song was starting and I was like, well, it looks like everyone took advantage of the last weekend of 80 degree weather we're going to have. Uh, but y'all started coming in from the lobby, so I guess the donuts were really good out there. Uh, but man, it is good to be in church. Um, I, I love the opportunity uh, where we get to come together as brothers and sisters uh, and just do life together. Um, it's, it's a blessing. Uh, I love Hillside that we are one church in, in multiple locations. Last week I had the opportunity to be with our brothers and sisters at the Gladstone campus. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I love, I love the Gladstone campus, love them. Um, but I missed home. <laughs> Is it okay to say that? I love y'all. And uh, um, it's just so fun to, to do life uh, and to do church with you guys. Um, but if you have your Bibles, uh, pull them out. We are going to continue our series through the book of Joshua in a series that we have titled Crossing the Jordan. And we are going to be uh, moving into Joshua chapter 2 this morning. Uh, but before we do that, I want to uh, just have a little bit of recap. Uh, I want to go into some of the things that uh, we saw last week in Joshua chapter 1. Last week in Joshua chapter 1, we see Israel, they are gearing up to cross over into the promised land. Now, I don't have to expand on all of that because we just spent 21 weeks in Deuteronomy. So you already know Israel's ready. They've been ready for some time and they're getting ready to go in. And Joshua in chapter 1, he is rallying all of the troops, all of the able-bodied men of, of Israel. They're going to go into the land and they're going to subdue it. They're going to go on conquest and they're going to win the land for the Lord. But their plan and their purpose was not just to go in and to wipe out all of the peoples, but they were to go into the land and be a representation of of who Yahweh is and what proper worship to Yahweh looks like so that they could draw all peoples back to God. And so Israel is gearing up uh, and Moses has passed the mantle to Joshua. Uh, and Joshua, uh, he, he says some great words uh, in, in Joshua chapter 1, words that are encouraging. Uh, words like, be strong and of great courage. And we looked last week how not only was Israel crossing the Jordan and gearing up and they were to be strong and courageous, but we too as followers of Christ, in our life as believers, we are to live in the fullness of what God has for us and that we are to be strong and that we are to be courageous in all that we do. So let's set the stage real quick as we're about to jump into chapter 2. Israel, Joshua, they're gearing up, they're ready to go in. And so Joshua decides he's going to send some spies into the lands. We are told that he sends two spies on a mission across the Jordan into a region and a city known as Jericho. Now, for those of you who know, uh, I like to go down rabbit trails uh, when I am studying. Uh, I love to study history, um, but sometimes there are certain threads that I grab and I can find myself eight hours down five different podcasts listening to something and realize I'm nowhere even related to theology anymore. I'm just studying Bronze Age espionage tactics. And that's not what you came to church to hear about, but I will tell you uh, Bronze Age espionage tactics are awesome. And there's some really crazy 
stuff and people actually who like hyper-specialize in their study of the ancient Near East, they just study spies. I thought that was really cool. There, there, there was this one podcast that I listened to uh, on a podcast called History Unplugged, and it was all about how these two spies from this nomadic group of, of uh, former slaves made their way into the greatest and oldest city of Canaan and brought it to its feet. And uh, so much so that the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States of America in 1970, did an entire case study on Joshua chapter 2. And they used Joshua chapter 2 as the basis by which they were going to train foreign spies and how to go and gather intelligence. And I was like, wow, I knew the Bible had a lot for us to learn from. I had no clue the CIA was using it as their tactics book. Um, but lest we go down that rabbit trail, Will, I know you want me to. <laughs> I've got more to talk about that's uh, theologically important as well. I think it should be uh, keen to note uh, that Joshua only sent two spies. His predecessor, Moses, sent 12 spies. And you might remember the story. The 12 spies went, and when they came back, 10 of them said, yeah, we're going to lose. It's terrible. There's giants in the land. We are but grasshoppers. They're going to take us out. We don't stand a chance. But Joshua, who was one of the 12 spies, and his best friend Caleb, who was another one of the spies, these two, they said, no, no, no. God's for us. We can do it. We can do it. But majority rules, and they were, they were outvoted. And I think Joshua, uh, maybe ironically, was like, you know what? 12 spies, it messed it up. But two spies was good enough. We believed so I'm just going to send two spies. Uh, and that is exactly what Joshua does as he sends these two spies across the Jordan River into the town of Jericho. Now, this is the real rabbit trail um, that I found myself on this week. And I uh, watched probably one too many documentaries on ancient Jericho. Uh, and I'm fascinated uh, I, I, I felt like Indiana Jones uh, as I got to read notes and, 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 and watch uh, documentaries talking about like John Garstang and his expedition of Jericho in the 1930s. And then how he had all his findings and he was like sure that this is the account of the biblical narrative there at the Battle of Jericho. He, he found these things on what they thought was once just a giant natural occurring mountain, but it was actually a gigantic like mound of crumbled down mud brick homes and after excavation they realized oh my goodness there's a city here and then in 1950 how the british museum they sent kathleen kenyon uh who was one of the greatest archaeologists of of the mid 20th century she goes and she spends nine years excavating just one tiny little spot of modern day jericho a spot called uh, tell al sultan and, and it was it was amazing and they found so many cool things um yeah, I could, I could keep going. Um, but what they decided uh, and, and what the, the scholarship um, found about Jericho um, is that Jericho is uh, not just a biblical city, uh, but Jericho was an ancient city. Um, by some accounts, it is believed, according to like the standard dating principles, that Jericho is the oldest city uh, of human civilization, like where people came together and actually began city building. Um, 
Jericho, according to, to the dating records that most archaeologists use, uh, Jericho has been inhabited um, to this day for over 12,000 years. And now I know some of you, when, when you hear that, you're like, yeah, but the Bible, we're only six. According to normal dating that is used in secular scholarship, Jericho has been around uh, for a very very long time. There was culture after culture after culture that occupied this region, uh, building up great civilization, civilization falling, civilization rising again. Uh, I have here that there were towers in Jericho, one tower specifically. It is known to be archaeologically the most ancient tower structure of all human building. Uh, and it, it, it's fascinating. Uh, I watched a 45-minute documentary just on the architecture of the tower. Um, I'm not going to give you any of that. Uh, you can go on YouTube and find that for yourself. But it's brilliant. We don't even know what the tower was used for. Was it used for defense? Was it used for grain? Was it used uh, for religious purposes, civic purposes? We don't know. But what we do know is people from all across the region were, were flocking to Jericho. One of the reasons why Jericho was such an important and such a strong and long-standing city uh, was it is built on natural springs. Uh, so... When siege warfare comes, Jericho never runs out of water, which is interesting because Joshua chapter 2 is going to get us to a time of siege warfare, or, 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 or Joshua chapter 3, 4, 5, 6. It's going to bring us to a time of siege warfare, and it's not the siege that choked out Jericho. God's going to do something miraculous, but Jericho was able to withstand sieges because it had natural springs, and as a result of natural springs in this desert and barren wastelands, it was able to have great crops within the city walls. It is thought by many uh, archaeologists that Jericho might be one of the first places where cultivation of cereal grain ever occurred in human civilization. Jericho is known to scholarship to be one of the first places in all of the world where they domesticated animals. So like Jericho was set. Jericho was ready. This was the place to be. Did you know that Jericho is also the lowest city in all of the earth, it is like at the base of the Dead Sea, uh, several hundred feet below sea level. Uh, so, I mean, like, Jericho was a happening spot. Um, so much so uh, that as people began to continue to make their way to Jericho, Jericho continued to fortify itself. And they uh, used a method that was known as casemate walls. Casemate walls were double-walled uh, mud brick structures. And in between these double walls, there was homes and there was living quarters. Um, and for a long time, uh, scholarship believed that Jericho built these walls to withstand enemy forces and to withstand uh, siege warfare. But what they are beginning to think, uh, and there's a group of scholars that believe, is these walls weren't built for military defense. They were actually built for natural disaster defense. Uh, because being so low and being in the Jordan Basin, when the Jordan River floods... And it starts rushing down to try and level out to sea level. Um, that's a big area for water to fill up. And Jericho built some walls so that it could withstand flash flooding. Because how many of you know if you build a house out of mud and water comes, um, it's not the best uh, for, for structural integrity. Uh, and so Jericho was built using casemate walls. Uh, th this is interesting because casemate walls, uh, we, we know what they look like. We know how they're used throughout ancient architecture. Uh, and it just so happens that the book of Joshua tells us that there's a character who has a dwelling 
within a casemate wall. And so archaeology and Bible walking hand in hand. Super cool stuff. Uh, but enough of that. If you want more about Jericho, just ask me after service and I'll talk your ear off. Uh, and it'll be dinner time by the time I'm done talking about Jericho. Uh, but I could recommend some great documentaries uh, on Jericho. But let's go to the text. That's why we're at church this morning, to study God's word. This is what it says coming from Joshua chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. And it says, Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all of this land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me. But I did not know where they were from. I love Rahab. She's, she's, she's tricky. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men, they went out. I do not know where the men went, but pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up onto the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. And so the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. And before the men had laid down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord, notice Lord is in all caps here. This is, this is the divine name. She says, I know that Yahweh has given you the lands and that the fear of you has fallen on us. And all the inhabitants of this land melt away before you. I, I want to stop and just make a comment on that. Remember just 38 years earlier, 12 spies go into the land. They return. 10 of them are like, we're terrified. They're going to wipe us out. Well, she's given us the rest of the story. The giants weren't like proud. We can like squash these grasshoppers. They saw the Israelites and they were terrified. There's probably a mini sermon, a mini message in there. Uh, that our circumstances and our situations, we operate in fear when we should be operating in authority uh, because God has gone before. God fights the battles. And sometimes we don't, like, we are paralyzed by what we think people are going to think uh, when really we're just called to speak out the truth because there are hearts that are ready. Okay, that's another sermon. We might come back to it later today. Rahab continues, for we have heard how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. That would be a crazy story. I mean, they didn't have CNN. They didn't have news. There wasn't cameras there. But they heard stories. And you all know how, how it goes with stories. Like, they get exaggerated. And this story already seems like an exaggerated story, but it wasn't. Like, God parted the Red Sea. By the time word gets to Jericho, who knows the mythological craziness of what they are beginning to pass one to another about this group of Israelites coming out who serve Yahweh. Just amazing things. Okay. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og. Yeah, I, great stories, but go read Deuteronomy and Numbers for those. Okay. Uh, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted 
There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your Elohim, he is the God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the med said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, notice that they're not even like questioning, like, and when, or like if the Lord gives us the land, he says, when the Lord. So I love, I love their faith. Gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then she let them down by a rope through the window from her house, casemate wall, she, her house is in the wall. Uh, and she said to them, go into the hills where the pursuers will encounter you. And hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. And then afterwards you may go your way. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all of your father's household. And if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is within this house with you, his blood shall be on our heads. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to the oath that you have made us swear. Verse 21, and she said, according to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied a scarlet cord within the window. And they departed and they went up into the hills and they remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and they found nothing. Then the two men returned and they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly Yahweh has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land, they melt away because of us. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is living and active. God, your word gives us instruction and direction. God, your word reveals to us the motives and the intents of our heart. Lord, we pray that this morning as we spend these next few moments, these brief moments looking at one of the greatest and craziest stories ever, uh, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be inspired, that we would be built up in our faith. Lord, we would see your perfection, uh, God, and we would be inspired in our own lives. So Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. There's a lot to talk about in this story this morning, but I want to hone in and focus on one character. We've got Joshua Son of noon, great guy. We've got these two spies, like brave, faithful guys. But I want to talk this morning about the real hero in this narrative. And it's this woman named Rahab. Rahab is uh, someone who, uh, according to the text, um, didn't have the greatest of professions. Uh, the text refers to her uh, as a prostitute, um, a harlot, 
And there, there, there are those, even in Jewish tradition, uh, who sought to uh, remove what was to them apparently a stain from her past, uh, and they turned her into an innkeeper. Uh, it, it, it made it sound a little bit better, so much so that by the time you get to Josephus, Josephus, when he recounts this story in the first century, she's just someone who owned an inn. She's just a nice bed and breakfast host. But the authors of the New Testament, both James, the brother of Jesus, and Hebrews, whoever that author is, uh, they both refer to her uh, in the Greek as someone who was a harlot, someone of ill repute. Um, I make this, this little note here. Um, the harlot's lord and a scarlet cord. It rhymed. I, I thought for a long time about that one. No. Um, but what's, what's interesting about Rahab, um, Rahab... There's been commentary, article written time and time again about who she is, what she did, uh, her relationship with the king. I mean, clearly the king knew to go straight to her when the spies arrived. Because it's like the king of Jericho goes straight to Rahab. How did the king know her? Was she a spy for the king? Was her in where the, the, a brothel was? And was there all sorts of espionage that was going on in this inn? That's one of the things I learned about Bronze Age espionage was spies went to brothels. Uh, it was probably a dual purpose why they went there. Um, and they were getting information. They, they knew what they were searching for, uh, and they could get it there in the brothel. But what's interesting about Rahab, uh, and I could spend time this morning talking about her name, what her name means, and some theological importance there, uh, but that's for you to do. Uh, do some homework, do some Bible study, search Rahab, see how Rahab is used as a name, uh, as a concept, as a theological thing throughout the Old Testament, amazing stuff. But what I want to talk about this morning is Rahab's faith. Um, Rahab, she had heard stories. Being someone who was working in a house of ill repute, she heard stories from people who were coming in from all around the land. Uh, she knew what the men's heart was. And they were terrified. And what she was able to deduce from this is that there is a group of people who are coming and they serve a God that is different than the gods of our land and their God actually does stuff. And it's terrifying. And so what she says, and the reason why I, I've got this little uh, catchphrase here, the harlot's Lord, she had already put it in her heart that Yahweh was God. And, and, and she, she knew Israel's chief deity, their God, their Lord, I want him to be mine. Because our gods, they don't do nothing. But the God of Israel, he saves. And he also destroys. And so I want to be on the opposite end of destruction. I want to be in that of salvation. She is uh, going to take it from the house of shame to the hall of fame. I didn't come up with that one. I, I, I saw that in the commentary, and I was like, oh, I'm going to put that in. That's, that's quite funny. I like that. Um, Rahab uh, is, is told um, that, that she is one of great faith. Um, she's given special provision by these spies. Uh, Jericho is going to be leveled. Jericho is going to be laid to waste. But she petitions the spies and says, hey, I know your God is good. I want to swear fealty to your God. If I do, will I be saved? And she's given special provision. And, the, and, and these spies, 
they tell her exactly what to do. They say, hang a scarlet cord out the window. And it's, it, it can't be coincidence, the illusions that this points back to an event that occurred 40 years earlier, where there was going to be great destruction by the power and might of Yahweh. But if people gathered in houses where there was a red distinguisher on the doorposts and the window posts, they would be saved. I'm clearly referring to the Passover. The children of Israel there in Egypt, when the death angel was coming, they were told that if they were in the house and the blood of a lamb was on the lentils of the doors, they would be saved. And, and, and there's this allusion to this Passover with Rahab, and she's going to be saved by her faith. I love this. Let's talk briefly about Rahab's family. Uh, because Rahab's an important character. She's not just a prostitute who like made the spies uh, have success and then she gets saved. No, 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 no. Her story uh, is much deeper and her story is much more important than just that. Uh, Rahab and her faith saved her and her family. Uh, and she, um, she gets married. Uh, and she has a kid. Uh, and her kid's name is Boaz. Anyone ever heard of Boaz before? Yeah, before we jumped into Deuteronomy, we, we did a study through the book of Ruth, uh, which that's a story in and of itself. Go watch those uh, sermons on YouTube. But I love how God does this. I mean, he's using Joshua. He's using Moses. He's using these Israelite patriarchs. It's amazing. But then God, in his infinite wisdom, seeks to use the most unlikely characters, a Canaanite prostitute who will then give birth to Boaz, who will go save a Midianite uh, or, or, or a Moabite woman and graft her into the family. And from Boaz and Ruth, they have a son whose name is Obed. We, we, we don't know a whole lot about Obed, but what we do know is Obed had a son named Jesse. And Jesse had a son named David. I guess the rest is history, right? I mean, like David, King David, like he wrote the Psalms. He, I, he's the greatest king in the history of Israel. But the New Testament tells us that one comes from that line. Um, much more important than David, much more important than Joshua or Moses, our Savior, Jesus. Rahab is directly in the line of Jesus. And God uses the most interesting and, uh, like, Surprising people in his narrative and in his story of redemption. So what I want to do this morning in these, these next few moments, just a couple practical takeaways from this story. Uh, I'm encouraged, I'm inspired by Rahab. And what, what the story of Rahab does for me uh, is it gives me encouragement and it gives me hope uh, for my own life and for all of our lives. The first takeaway that I'd love to take away from the story about Rahab, the story about these spies, uh, is live for God in all that you do and let his reputation precede him. So often we want to live in such a way that our, repu like, like our reputation precedes us, that people will know who we are by our reputation. But what I think this story uh, teaches us is that live for God and his reputation will precede him. The spies, they didn't come in and they didn't have to tell the stories. The spies were already just living for Yahweh. And Yahweh's reputation went before him. And I think for you and I, I think maybe this is one of those kind of concepts that St. Francis of Assisi was, was jumping on and piggybacking on when he said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. 
The way in which we live, the way in which we present ourselves, the one in whom we show allegiance to, that speaks volumes. Now, I'm going to argue with St. Francis a little bit um, because I think Jesus tells us we use words. Uh, so I'm not saying neglect that, but the way in which we live our lives can open doors so that we can use words, so that we can speak. Uh, and and I, I want to just challenge you and I want to encourage you that in all you do, uh, live for the Lord. Let his reputation be your reputation. Um, because people take note. And often, like I said, we, we're afraid to share our faith because we're worried about what someone may think. But the reality is if you get to the point where you're thinking about sharing your faith with someone, you feel this nudge to like actually verbalize something, the reality is you've already been sharing your faith for a time by the way in which you live. And that should call us to live well. That should call us to live right. Because how many of you guys know sometimes when you're driving on the freeway and you get cut off by someone and they're honking their horn, they're giving you all sorts of hand gestures, and then you see the Jesus fish on the back of their car? Right? Anyone seen that? Was that your car? I mean... <laughs> It's always so disheartening when the people that should be living with, like, the best heart in society, the people who've experienced the love and the life change that comes from God are sometimes the most bitter people in our culture. That should not be. If that is the way we are living our lives, that is the God people are seeing. And we wonder why culture sometimes doesn't want to embrace the Savior. Now, the thing I love is that the Holy Spirit cuts right through that. And sometimes the biggest jerk can lead someone to Christ, and it's amazing. But hey, let's cut out the middleman. Let's not be jerks, right? And let's love like Christ, meeting the least of these. I love it. Okay. Second practical application do not neglect humble beginnings uh, because they may lead to lasting legacies. Rahab is someone who very easily could have been discounted in this culture. She very easily could have been discounted in this story. I mean, let's be real. The spies, they were told by Joshua, who had got direct revelation from God, to go into the land, spy it out, because we're going to go level the city. And we're going to wipe out the inhabitants. Now, I've seen James Bond movies. I've seen Jason Bourne movies. I've seen all the good spy movies. Um, spies tend to just, like, use and abuse situations. They get what they need, and then they move on and they forget um, these spies very well could have done that with Rahab. They could have been like, oh, sweet, you guys are terrified, awesome. Oh, you hit us, great. That was a means to our end, now we're gone, and we're going to just go finish the mission and lay it to waste. But Rahab was not neglected. And her humble or even lower than humble beginning led to a lasting legacy. And I want to encourage you and I as followers of Christ. Sometimes we hear testimonies of people who are just 
evangelists. They're out there on the streets, and they, we hear testimony of, oh, I led five people to the Lord this week, or I led 20 people to the Lord last year. And you think, and you're like, man, I, I talked with my neighbor about Jesus like twice. And, and, and we can compare ourselves. And that comparison leads to fear, and that fear leads to bondage, and it keeps us from doing what we've been called to do. May I make the encouragement this morning, and I'm going to invite Mariah to come back as as she's going to close us in a time of prayer and worship. Um, Can I make the the encouragement this morning that uh, sometimes that talking to your neighbor twice about Jesus might be the very seed that begins to grow two, three years down the road? I remember I... uh, I'll share this testimony um, about humble beginnings. Um, I'm a nerd, not just about history. Um, I like uh, card games. I like uh, I like goofy role playing games. Um, like I'm a true nerd in like the sense of it all, like fantasy kind of stuff. Love love me some Tolkien. Um, and I learned this card game. And I'll be careful, I won't tell you what it was. You can ask me again later. But I learned this card game where you're playing as like these like fantasy action heroes. And you're like dueling against other fantasy action heroes. Uh, and it's really cheesy, okay? Uh, <laughs> I think kids are supposed to play this. But when I go to play it, it's a bunch of 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old men. Um, but I love it. It's goofy. And I go, and I'm going to play some card games, right? And uh, it's, it's not a Christian environment. Um, and, and, and I'll be honest, it's not like an overtly secular environment. It's just an environment. Um, but we're sitting, we're hanging out. The language is, ugh, like, you hear things that you never thought you'd hear. Um, and I'm just quiet. I'm listening, still having fun, just being a friend. After a couple hours, a couple weeks of doing this, uh, Conversation, friendships are made, first name basis. Uh, oh, well, what do you do? Oh, I, I work down at the, the marijuana store. Okay. Oh, very interesting. How'd that go? Okay. Uh, well, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. You could have heard a pin drop. Like, like a what? A what? Yeah, 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 like a pastor. Like, like I'm one of those weirdos that actually believes the Bible's true, and I believe God actually hears me when I pray. And, and, and they're like, wow, interesting. You're not like any pastor I've ever met. And everything inside of me wanted to say, well, good. But no, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, w- I was caught off guard. I was, I was awkward. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I didn't expect this to be the conversation. A couple more weeks, a couple more months went by. And I, if someone asked, I would tell them what I believed or what I thought. But I didn't bring my Bible and set it on the table next to my cards. I wasn't making it like this overt, like, you better believe or I'm not going to play cards with you ever again. About a year went by. I was doing this every week, Mariah knows. Uh, every Thursday night I would leave for seven hours. No, it was, it was more like four hours. But, uh, but tragedy hit one of these individuals. Death in the family followed by another death in the family, same week. And I got a phone call. And it was, hey, hey, Matt, um, you said you believe in God, right? 
like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew the story of this individual, and they had grown up in the church. Um, it, was, it was a very oppressive kind of flavor of Christianity. Uh, put a very bad taste in this person's mouth. This person had swung from Christianity to full-on atheism, um, was convinced there was something, so atheism didn't work, so kind of backpedaled to agnosticism, into some sort of new age spirituality. Mushrooms really helped him with his, with his process, uh, so, so he says. Um, but he said, hey, you know what? Um, what I'm doing, there is no hope. But you seem to have hope. So, so can you tell me a little bit more? Because I think your God actually might be real. So we sat, we talked. That led on to another year of just dialogue, discipleship, going through the weeds, trying to like untangle some of those fungi roots that had made their way in. And, but we got down to the base of it. And he said, you know what? Yeah, your God's real. I know your God's real. I've known your God was real. And I've been terrified about what life looks like without him. So I got to sit on a park bench off of Burnside and pray with this guy. And then he moved. Lost contacts. And then a year later, he called me and he said, hey, I'm getting married. My wife and I are serving in a church constantly. Uh, and we want you to come be a part of the wedding. And uh, I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Uh, and so I got to go. I got to hang out with him. And he loves the Lord and he serves the Lord. And I'm not saying all this to say, hey, I've got a reputation. No, I just let my God's reputation speak for itself. And I want to encourage you, whatever your humble beginnings are, uh, I, I, I will encourage you, don't go down the rabbit hole of trading card games. Um, they're a money pit. Like, don't, don't go there. Um, but whatever, wh whatever your humble beginning is, don't neglect it. Don't neglect it, because God wants to use you right where you're at. Rahab, the most unexpected hero of a story, a prostitute, saves not only a nation, but through her descendants comes the one who saves humanity. So be on business 24-7. In all that you do, live for God and let his reputation precede him. Amen? Amen. That's what it means to live a life as a believer that's crossed the Jordan. In the fullness of what the Spirit has for us, we live on assignment 24-7. There's no days off. That doesn't mean it's necessarily toilsome. What did Jesus say? He says, by this we know love, that we do his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let's love God and love our neighbors. Amen? All right, Lord, we thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you that it's true. God, we thank you for the story of Rahab and how she is an encouragement to us all. Lord, help us in all that we do to live for you, to put you first in all of our experiences, all of our activities, Lord, and allow your spirit to draw men and women unto you. Lord, we thank you, we praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said. Thank you.